Hey guys, and welcome to the Garage Athlete Show with myself and Daniel Fraser. Uh, we've got another Q&A session for everyone today. I apologise if there's any background noise. I am currently looking after my two-year-old, as you can probably see her running around in the background. Um, so yeah, if there's any background noise, I kind of do apologise, but it was either that or we didn't do a show this week. So if you're that bothered about it, then yeah. No worries. <laughs> so anything new with yourself, Dan? Uh, how did you feel about, obviously we had our first kind of like guest uh, where both of us were involved last week. Did you enjoy that? I did, yeah. I've been meaning to talk to Chris for a while because he's uh, someone that's been around for a little bit and he's kind of made a name for himself just working with, you know, some pretty elite athletes and then he's got some good uh, views, very sort of evidence-based, uh, kind of, as Eddie also backs up his, well, not bullshit, but backs up what he says with a lot of treatment and um, uh, with the, some of the work he does uh, is very, you know, this might work, this might not work, this could work, but he's very, um, I think he's kind of anti-crap, anti-bullshit, and he says, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of stuff that's out there is just a bit rubbish, and he wanted to be better, so he took it upon himself to bear himself, go back to uni, learn a bit more on, on an already impressive knowledge base, and just refine it, make it that bit more, and um, I think that's why he's moving forward in the industry and doing quite well. Yeah, definitely, and I was quite, because as you said, with a lot of like rehab stuff, a lot of people tend to keep their clients in the dark kind of about what they're doing so that they're reliant on them. They just come and get a magic rub once every like four to six weeks rather than addressing the underlying problems. Whereas a lot of stuff, so I've worked with like physios in the past, well worked in partnership with physios in the past because I've designed a program that has then complemented what they've done. But I've, because I've known clients that have come to me, they've been working with the physio and working with the trainer and what the physio is doing and what the trainer is doing are completely knocking each other out. So you're spending twice as much money because you're having to go and see a physio like two, three times a month and they're trying to fix this issue. And then your trainers, so it, for example, it was a, she had a knee problem. She was quite badly in knee pain. And so she was going to a physio, getting the strengthening exercises for the hamstrings, lengthening the hip flexors. And her bloody personal trainer had her doing plyometrics when she's got knee pain and I was just like okay yeah. you, you need to sack that guy off come and see me I spoke with the physio we built a strengthening program to strengthen the areas that she needed and she dropped from having to see the physio like three or four times a month down to like once a month so once every six weeks so once every eight weeks so eventually it was just kind of like as and when she kind of had a flare-up but she'd been seeing the physio three times a month for like a year because the trainer was messing up the stuff that she was doing so yeah it's um the education side and as well like one thing i don't know if you get it a lot is when you speak to people about training it's like oh it's expensive it's um i don't really need it and i think there's kind of a lot of misconceptions about kind of like that sergeant major trainer that's got you down the park doing horrendous form press-ups like shouting at you and charging like 50 pounds an hour to do so. I think that kind of trainer has left the industry because the competition is fierce now. You'll know like every man and his dog's a personal trainer. So only the people that kind of actually get results tend to stick around. If somebody's been in the industry more than a year, they probably get half decent results or they're very good at sales. 
Now, COVID has now weaned out all those people that are just very good at sales because they're also the people that just disappeared for four months on their clients while the good coaches were like, right, how do I pivot? Like, what content can I be putting out? Can I be putting more home workout stuff out? How can I still serve my clients even though I'm not? Yeah, that's the difference between like a good quality coach is that you see that they're still there, even when it's challenging times, even when their business, they might be worried about how they're going to pay their next mortgage payment, but they're still showing up every day. They're still giving out free content. They're still servicing clients. Yeah, man. It was uh... (laughs) I've never been through it. I don't know if it's going to happen again. I think I've been reading the gym's was it the COVID testing in gyms or something? It's minuscule. The people that are going into gyms with it or the people that are they founding people in gyms with COVID is so minute. It was something like 0.01% or like out of the 1 million tests they've done on people in a gym setting, like less than a hundred have come back mm. and positive. And the ones that have come back positive, um, they got it somewhere else. And yeah. yeah. So the whole thing of like gyms are a breeding ground for COVID. It's not true because it's not. No. Well, with the measures that they've put in, you bloody wipe down every single piece of equipment. You've got hand sanitizer everywhere. The gym staff are going around cleaning everything much more thoroughly than they do at like supermarkets and stuff. I can guarantee it. Like there's, there's definitely more likely places to catch this thing than kind of within a gym setting. But, We'll see. At the end of the day, it's all about money. So the reasons why restaurants and pubs were allowed to open first was they are going to be the biggest money spinners. Like that's the place where they, the government makes the most money from VAT, from um, all this kind of stuff. You've got to look. It's um, what's in rush hour two. Follow the rich white man. Follow the money. Like that's always going to explain when there's decisions that don't really make sense. Follow the rich white uh, man. <laughs> okay, I'm still on the. I used, to, I used to manage a cafe, and I'm still on the list of like guidelines and rules and stuff uh, from the county council. Uh, and then it comes up frequently last quarter on the FAQs. Um, why are pubs opening before anything else, or are they exempt or different rules? And they say it's because pubs practice better um, protocols and hygiene is safer than being in someone else's home. And you're just like, what? Like if you. You know, if you've been in the pub, no, you know, no discredit to <laughs> people that go to the pub, but you have a few drinks, like, distancing goes out the window. Like, yeah. right, it's, 100%. it's That's why they're having to curfew people, because they're like, right, if we stop them coming out after 10 o'clock, they're probably not going to be pissed, so they're not going to be bumping into each other. All that's going to do is go, and people are just going to go out and start drinking earlier. Well, they they're are, still yeah, going to get pissed, and yeah. then you've got everyone flooding out of the pubs at 10 o'clock, pissed. Mm rather yep. than two, three o'clock in the morning. But anyways, right, let's go on to some questions um, or else we'll, we'll be here all day discussing these, uh, the uh, guidelines that I kind of put in place. So first question, Tom Summers, booked a strongman comp early November. How would you train, say, a week before deadline? So I'm guessing deadline. Uh, so I think it's peak week up to a competition, uh, strongman comp. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you've answered your own question. Yeah, deadline. I mean, it kind of depends on 
your strength levels, how far you are off the comp, how much you've trained, have you followed you know, a, a specific peaking plan for it where you've aimed to overreach before that competition, so you do need to back off a bit? Or have you come off a few competitions and you kind of need to keep, um, what's, 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 I don't know what the word is, you need to be a bit closer to performance because you might be slightly under-trained, so maybe training is not going to, uh, a bit heavy, is not going to have too much of uh, an impact on it. But I mean, so what we've got November, I presume you're training right into it. You know, typically speaking, I would say 99% of people who go to comps, yes, you're going to train dead light before the comp. What's light to you might be light to some, heavy to someone else, uh, and vice versa. You know, I've seen people who in the week to the comp are still running around with the comp weights, but in retrospect, for the weights they lift, it's not heavy. For someone else, you know, go say if you're going into a rep event, but that rep, that mat weight is probably your one or three RM. Yeah, you're going to probably back right off. You're not going to be doing a single with that before you go. And whereas someone else who's a bit stronger probably is going to do that single. So what you have to do is look at the weights, uh, set yourself some realistic expectations, you know, optimistic as well, you know, some good expectations of what you want to hit in that comp and work backwards off that. You know, general rule of thumb I do with me and most people is 75, between 75, 80% a few days beforehand, like the start of the week and then just start tapering down as you get into around 60%, keep things moving. And whatever you need to do to get your mind feeling right, do that. Some guys and girls like to go still quite heavy right up till two or three days before to keep themselves right. Some people like to do almost nothing that week beforehand. They just feel right. You'll have, you'll know in your own mind what you need to do to get right. But the work's been done. You're going to be, whatever happens on the day, the work's been done, put in to go into that day. So what you're trying to do is give yourself the best chance to recover from all the work you've done previously and then give yourself the best performance on the day. Perfect. Um, I have no idea, so I'm going to leave that <laughs> with what you've said. Is that of interest? What, what's the last week of training like for a bodybuilding show? Um, I'm just trying to remember peak week. So... Seven days before you start water loading. Um, so like seven days before, no, sorry, you're not starting to water load. So you're starting to carb load kind of around that point, depending on how aggressive your diet's been and if you've had any refeeds kind of up to that point. About, so it depends on what day the competition is. So normally a competition is normally on a Saturday. So for example, training on Monday, Tuesday will be pretty similar to kind of normal. You'll drop legs out in that last week um, and your cardio probably drops out from the Tuesday if the competition was on the Saturday. Uh, on Tuesday, the day the cardio drops out, that's your first kind of like water loading day. So that would be like six litres of water. Then Wednesday, it'd be five. Thursday, it'd be four. Friday, it'd be like one. And then you're just peeing all night then. Um, <laughs> and you've got like... 200 mils of water before competition on Saturday. And then training-wise, you probably wouldn't train after Wednesday because you want all the inflammation and everything to kind of come down. So, like, zero training, zero cardio from, like, three days before. But, yeah, like, Monday, Tuesday is pretty similar to kind of normal because basically the stress of dropping all your training out from that week before can have a detrimental effect on water retention. So you can 
look at like a bit watery and stuff. Some people do like sodium loads. There's so many different theories when it comes to kind of like that week before competition. I've heard um, loads of people come out and say, for some reason or not, I ended up looking better either the week before the comp or the week after the comp. It must be so mentally like infuriating so if you're like, not it's on one it. of those things where peak week, if you nail it, can make you look like 10% better. If you mess it up, it can make you look 20% worse. Oh, Jesus. So it's one of those where it's kind of swings and roundabouts. And, it's, and this is where like experience of being on stage kind of really comes in, is to know kind of what your body reacts to. Like my first like time on stage, like we tried to add some sodium and stuff in. I look really, really watery in my legs and stuff. They didn't look lean at all. We came into another competition four weeks later I was actually heavier and my legs looked more shredded because I was less stressed. We didn't add the sodium in and I was just relaxed because my little one's playing with the light behind the camera. Um, I've got a new light, I'll show you in a second. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> that yeah, so uh, stress kind of plays like a major factor in the whole bodybuilding side of stuff rather than, and it's the factor that a lot of people kind of don't think about. Oh, oh, nice. 50 pounds <laughs> from, from Little Mate, Parkside. <laughs> we a guarantee on this bad boy. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh. Yeah, so it sounds similar to like powerlifting and strongman that you got to get it right. But, you know, my last competition was diabolical. Uh, on the day, just felt absolutely awful. And yeah. it's just, uh, I went too aggressive on the weight cut in the last couple of days. Right. My performance was just bullshit and like the week yeah. before and the week after i lifted great so it's really tough and i think the more competitions you do the more you realize sometimes it just happens but you're trying to do your best educated calculated um purposeful guess and go to make sure it's all right and everything's ticking but then some days it's just it's just not that yeah Bloody. definitely and yeah, it's, it's all that hard work for that one day though, isn't it? And when you mess it up and mess up that one day, it feels a bit shitty, really. Oh, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I still have, you know, I've had plenty of sessions where I rip the belt off and slam it on the floor and walk off. Yeah. Remember as a kid, I had a real problem with it. You know, I had to do some work with a psychologist because I just fall apart. It would go to, sh go to shit. I'd like storm off the pitch, like, you know, throw things, like burst into tears, not talk for a whole weekend. It was... It's hard. It's, you know, it's mental toughness, I suppose, is the word. But, yeah, tough. So, next question. Ben Rowe, what is a good training regime for a beginner? And what sort of diet would you be looking at? I'd be looking to build muscle while losing the belly fat. I'm around 12 and a half stone, six foot tall, BMI around 24. Um, we said we were going to put something out about it. Yeah, but have we? we? I've just, <laughs> I just remembered that. Right. Um, we will. I we will put something together in terms of a training plan, uh, diet-wise. Track your food as it is. Um, what you want to be doing if you're trying to do like a body uh, recomp phase is you want to look for maintenance. Because um, if you go into a, if your BMI is 24, I just need to come on, come down, please. <laughs> you're going to fall. No, don't fall. So if you're looking to drop fat and build muscle at the same time and you're relatively new to training, you're probably going to want to hit maintenance in terms of calories. It's because your body will utilize the extra calories from the body fat to be able to build that new tissue just because it's kind of new 
stimulus. The 12 and a half stone, six foot tall and BMI, those aren't probably the best indicators for us in terms of where to put your um, calories, etc. What I will do is I will send you a DM um, just because I have a calculator that figures all this stuff out. I can give you the exact macros that you'd want to be aiming for to hit maintenance. Um, it's just I don't have that in front of me and you haven't given me the right information to put into that thing to be able to give you that information. It's a little bit too generalized. We can't just say, right, you're six foot tall, 12 and a half stone, like you need to be eating this because it's, it's kind of not specific enough. Um, yeah, that about covers that. <laughs> I, will, I will put something out there in, I think you can create a files thing for a group. I will have a look. I'm sure you can. And we'll, I'll stick a PDF in there as a, like a basic, um, a basic beginner's program. To be for the... What did I say to you about you're going to fall? <laughs> I, have a... I told you, didn't I? I literally said you're going to fall. Is she all right? Yeah, she's fine. I caught her. You're okay? Okay, I will sort that in a second from the iPad. Yeah? Yes, get on the iPad. Get on the iPad. Right, let me have a look at what the next one is. Yeah, if you look at the next one, I'll try and sort it. Yeah, ooh, look at that. Yeah. How do you switch up volume intensity to keep progress going for supplemental accessory exercises? Too many numbers to keep track of as, as it is. Uh, me, I just don't track it. And then I don't know about it. It's all good. Um, you can think about, you know, there's two schools of thought. Some people say you need to really focus on adding weight to every week you come back in for your accessorizing. Other people say they're just accessories, just get some work in. And then other people say switch it up every time you come back in. So in terms of switching up volume, intensity and exercises, what you can do is stay with a rep range on your supplementary work for, I don't know, say four weeks. Stick with it until you stall progress. Either change the exercise to stick with the rep range or change the rep range around. You know, pretty you know, basic stuff. So say you go through a week of doing 15, say on four sets of 15, drop it to the next week to you know, four sets of eight uh, and then continue that way. Um, what I like to do personally is change exercises very frequently for supplementary work. Typically in training, I normally have a prime exercise let's say on deadlift to be deadlift i'll have a secondary exercise on the deadlift which will be pause deadlift i will run those the whole training cycle so i'll probably run those for a good eight to 12 weeks but what i will do is for the accessory work i'll change it all the time uh, like just to get a pump on just to feel the muscle working and change the angle um quite often so from one week i'll go for, uh, you can go from dumbbell row the next week to a barbell row the next week to a chest supported row and then what you can do is have those three exercises run through all of them, then start that all over again, and then go back to the first exercise, same rep range, and just up the weight a little bit. It's a slower progress, um, but you'll find with training, the longer you go for it, you just simply can't add weight to the bar every week. You have to figure things out or do things a little bit differently. So personally, if, uh, if you're getting stuck, switch it up a bit more and keep track of when you switched it. And then when you come back round to the exercise again, look to improve that exercise a little bit more and then keep that flowing around. It should make the, um, it should keep things interesting and a bit fun as well. Remember it's just yeah. supplementary exercise. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, it's not, it, it's important, but it's not the most important thing. You know, I've so actually, where, sorry, currently building and powerlifting kind of differ slightly. 
um, just because with bodybuilding, especially with like high intensity training, um, your program doesn't really change kind of that often, but you'll switch out individual exercises once you've milked every little bit out of them. So say for example, it might be a hack squat. So you just, you, you keep a logbook and every single exercise that's on that leg day, we're looking to improve either more reps or more weights, like every single one. So you're tracking, every, even on your bicep curls, you're trying to progressively overload it. Um, and even if it's not improving kind of in weight or reps, it's like getting better connection. So making the quality of those kind of reps better. And then if you stall for about two to three weeks, you can change out that individual exercise. So what you find is a training block ends up being like six months long for your average bodybuilder. Now that doesn't work for general pop very well because people get bored. Um, so I find I have to rotate programs a lot more often than I rate, than I rotate kind of like my own training. And it's literally kind of, it's just boredom. Um, the philosophies on it are that, exercises don't need to be rotated that often in terms of physiologically improving in those areas it's literally the mental buy-in to the program and as you say quite often like the best programs are the ones you're excited to do and kind of get in and get it done and if you've checked out of a program you're not going to see the improvement so again it's that different mental attitude that comes in when you kind of get up to that higher level of competition he could be a Ronnie Coleman. He didn't change his back and bicep routine the whole time he trained, competed, never yeah. changed it once. No. There's, there's so he many different... genetic freak, though. Yeah, but there's so many different theories and uh, uh, that theories is the word opinions on it on training. You know, some guys say just get a pump, uh, and some guys say track everything to the nth degree. Like, if if I'm on a tracking everything to the nth degree, you know, I do love it, but it takes. It takes some of the soul out of it for me. Mm. And it can get, you know, spe specifically with powerlifting, it can get very repetitive and very boring. Yeah. But yeah. as long as you're progressing, then that's the most important thing. But I find <laughs> it's when progress stops, when you start looking very closely at the numbers. And it's, it's hard sometimes. You're not progressing because you're simply not adding more weight to the bar. Or you're not progressing because of something that's stalled or do you need to do something else and it's hard to say is there some magic variation that's going to fix you or is it just the total volume's not quite right and it's, you know it's, I'm, it's still something i'm still figuring out as i'm training all the time i change things all the time with people i know like the model simplest model is just keep adding more volume and weight to the bar if you're not making progress on four sets of five do five sets of five do six sets of five which is probably the best not, not the best it's the most basic but it works way to get better to get stronger I guess my only issue was that it's just so the volumes and the time it takes, it's, it's so close to where you get an injury at knackered. It's like, it's, it's got to, you're constantly trying to, I'm tr constantly trying to think, is there a better way to do it? Is it, is maybe doing a more, I don't know, West side approach where you're focusing more on a weak variation better than simply doing more squats, more deadlifts, because I think that it does work. The thing with that is, is it works great and it works really well. And you'll see lots of coaches with athletes who have done amazing. Typically guys who haven't lifted for that long add like, you know, like 20, 30 kilos to certain lifts very fast. But it, it does stall, but then it, it can't simply just be <laughs> keep doing more volume, keep doing more weight, because you will get 
bust, but then do you get busted in something else? It's, it's, it's hard. And it's, yeah. it's a constant trying to figure out the best approach. Well, it's one of the reasons why we have a job, <laughs> because yeah. there is no right answer. It's, mm. As you said, there's so many opinions. And the thing is, well, the controversial thing is, they're all right. Like, some will work for some, some will work for others. It's no, not the church of this is right and this is wrong. It's just, this is a different approach. And then the other controversial thing that happens is what might have worked for you five years ago may not work for you anymore. So as you said, it's, it's continuously learning in, um, what is it? It's called white belt mentality. So you're always coming in as a student of the sport. You're always coming in with an open mind and willing to listen to other people's kind of opinions. You may not just like agree with it straight away, but when somebody's talking, there might be just like a little nugget of something that you might just try and you might implement and you go, oh, okay. Well, that's worked quite well for me, actually. It might not be that whole training system. It might just be like one thing. It might be one warm-up exercise. It might be how they particularly structure their cooldowns. It might be um, utilizing band pull-aparts like in between sets of bench and your bench only dr- jumps up five and a half kilos or whatever. Like, I think there's too much in the industry of this is right and this is wrong. And people are like willing to die to protect like their views of this is what I believe. And they're the same people that a year later are like, no, I was wrong before. This is right now. And it's like, how, how can you be like that? Because you literally were saying something different a year ago and now you're still saying that, no, this is the right way. It's not that. It's, it's a shade of grey, isn't it? <laughs> 50 shades of grey. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, next one from Wayne. Great podcast last week. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for the feedback, Wayne. Uh, what are the advantages slash disadvantages of deadlifting sumo over conventional or conventional over sumo? I can do both, but prefer conventional. What am I missing out on? Thanks. I think it's um, people tend to be able to deadlift more in sumo, I think. So a lot of powerlifters choose sumo just because mechanically, because your stance is wider, the distance the bar has to travel is shorter. So again, in theory, it's slightly easier. It may only be like three inches, but that can maybe a big difference. I think when you're sumo, you load the glutes and the hamstrings slightly more then when it's conventional, it tends to hit your lower back a little bit more. Is that right? <laughs> kind of, not a little bit, yeah. I mean, you'll get guys, that, there's a few guys who have switched to sumo, and I think Lane Norton springs to mind because he was getting a lot of back trouble with conventional, but it was kind of the way he was pulling that it would put his back at a higher risk. Um, it's probably, I think you need to learn to be able to do both. I don't think you, you have to train both. A lot of, you know, what's his name? Is it Kyler Woodman, the deadlift dot guy? He does a lot of conventional and he's absolutely convinced that it builds his sumo a lot more. Whereas there's not many guys or girls that do sumo to improve their conventional. Not to say it can't work, because maybe you do have weak, um, what do you call them, abductors. Maybe you do need to work on opening up your hips a bit more. Um, you need to, there's the sumo is a bit more technical. You, doing that will help you with your conventional a bit more. But it, typically, a lot of guys do the, the conventional and they find it really beneficial for sumo for the way it pulls. 
Um, and then disadvantages. I mean, dead, dead, uh, yeah, advantages of sumo. Yeah, like you said, shorter range of motion. You could probably make use, depending on how you built, of stronger muscles and probably better biomechanics. You find lighter pullers tend to always pull sumo over sumo over heavier pullers. I think I think Knuckles is the Greg Knuckles has done a thing with stronger by science on it where they worked out in terms of heavyweights, there was very, very few that pulled sumo. Whereas when you go down the weight classes, the the lighter um lifters all tend to you'll find all the records are typically towards sumo. Um, maybe because they're they're better suited towards a lighter body weight. I mean, I don't really know. I've, I've tried sumo a bit for me, and my sumo is absolutely awful. I can't pull anywhere near sumo what I do conventional. So maybe that's just the way I'm built with like you know narrow hips and my hips, um, uh, my biomechanics that sumo just doesn't work for me at all. Um, can do both. If you prefer Kensha, I don't think no, I don't think you're missing out on anything by doing sumo. I think it, if you want to throw some in and just have some fun, or maybe as an assistance exercise, yeah, go for it. But I don't think you're necessarily missing out on anything. There's plenty of lifters, phenomenal lifters, who don't do any sumo and vice versa. The guys, you know, what's his name? I think Bryce Lewis, you know, he's, I think he's, I think he's still world champion 105. I can't, I can't remember. Bryce, Bryce Lewis, I think that's his name. Um, that doesn't do any conventional, did pull conventional, now just works as sumo, works, it works, it works, and it's still, you know, world record holders and, you know, world champions. So I don't think you're missing out on anything by not doing sumo really but i think you should be able to do it but don't worry if you don't do it yeah i think it's personal choice at the end of the day isn't it? it's whatever feels more comfortable yeah yeah absolutely yeah okay jake boyce uh do you equate the level of your pump to how good the workout was feel like i lack pump even though i'm progressive overloading um no is the short answer <laughs> so it depends on what you're training for. If you're training for strength, then you're probably not going to get a pump. You're just not driving enough blood into the muscle to create that kind of cell swelling effect. So what the pump is for anyone who doesn't know is when you do like higher rep ranges, anywhere from 12 up to 30 reps, you are... Uh, vasodilating so the blood vessels within the muscles will all expand and blood is shoved into that muscle and it causes that muscle to temporarily swell and the pump is the feeling of basically the muscle feeling really tight against the skin so those guys that go into the gym on a friday evening go and do a bit of bench press and a few bicep curls that's to get what's called a pump where they will temporarily for a couple of hours look bigger than if they didn't go in and do that thing. It is a temporary effect. There is some research that has shown kind of the cell swelling effect does transfer across to um, increased muscle size when you are kind of doing it chronically. And this is why a lot of bodybuilders, once they have almost maxed out kind of the high intensity training, will then do more kind of pump work. So if you are trying to hit hypertrophy, some pump work in there is probably going to be kind of beneficial. Um, you probably don't want to base your entire workout around it. Just because you're lacking in a pump doesn't mean that you aren't progressing, but it all depends on what your goals are. If your goals are to grow as much muscle as possible, you probably want to have a little bit of pump work in there. If it's to get as strong as possible, you don't really need to leave the workout with a pump and you will probably can still be working towards your goals. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. I think you've covered it. I think, I don't know, like, I don't think you need to pump every workout, no. But, you know, I think most of everyone who's built really impressive physique seems to have 
some kind of pump when they train. So I think it, I think it is important. I don't know how important the pump is. I know there's some people doing some stuff on it, but I think it's definitely got to have something to do with growth. Um, I feel like that pump, even though, I mean, keep, 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 um, overloading, keep pushing forward, but yeah, maybe just throw in a few, depends on your, like you said, depends on your goals, but maybe throw in a few, like you say, a few sets of eight to 12, just to say you've ticked that box, you know, get the pump on, just, just give it a go. Like, throw it in but even in some yeah, 15 to 20s on some yeah. isolation work yeah. trying not to do it on compound work just because the higher the more technical the lift as you get fatigued the more likely you are to mess up your technique which will then carry across so if you're for example doing a set of 20 squats by the time you get to like 12 to 15 your fatigue is going to be kicking in and those last like five to seven reps probably aren't going to be that good which if somewhere else in your program you've got then sets of like three or five those bad habits from the fatigued reps will transfer across whereas a preacher curl like because that's a fixed isolation movement it doesn't matter how tired you get during that you're just moving your elbow so it's much less likely that you're going to mess it up to the point that you're going to detrimentally affect one of your bigger compound movements, which you will be doing progressive overload on. Um, yeah, do you want to uh, do the next question, mate? No, James no. can do one. He asks stupid questions. <laughs> it doesn't do. uh, is there anything food-wise that you know you shouldn't buy as you will just binge it straight away? Food vice, shall we say. I think he's just trying to share what he likes. I know you don't just eat cheese. He comes out with me, right? And he says, oh, I'm not going to have a McDonald's because I'm, you know, I'm being good. And I know he's secretly going home and getting bags of donuts and cheese. So don't try and show off in front of me, James. I know what you're really up to. But uh, things like, yeah, I mean, there's a rule. Even with if it fits your ma macros, sometimes what if it fits your mouth, you know, it was all sold on. And it's still, it's, it's great. Um, you can have this. You can have a bit of that. It's fantastic. You can track it. And fuck me, it works. And it works really well. But some things are too delicious. And some things, if you have it in the house, I don't want just a scoop of ice cream. I want half the tub. You know, that's what I want to have. You know, Have you tried that low-calorie halo ice cream? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> Piss, have you? Yeah, it tastes amazing. Fuck off it, though. You can't put that, you put that next to a freaking tub of Ben & Jerry's. Oh, yeah, but I'm a physique athlete. Like, when I have that... I, I am one of these people where I can have like five spoons and then I'm done and I can put the tub away. In which case then all the sweets and everything like this year I've got to buy a safe that only my missus is going to have a combination to. Because like oh, last yeah. year it was driving me insane when you're like 6% body fat and you know there's a cupboard of crisps and chocolate and you're in the house with the baby and there's nobody else there so nobody will know except for you if you binge eat on that except for when you step on stage and you're like shit so yeah yeah but like yeah nah it's like Lexi gonna tell me to drink skinny lager and say it tastes just the same skinny no like, I don't agree with that light but light like, and, hey, for yeah, me yeah. if I had a room 101 it would be low calorie ice creams straight in there like get, <laughs> get out like you know that thing you have of being 6% body fat? You have that when you're 60% body fat as well. You just want to eat things. But yeah, I think, I do think I can have some sweet things. Like me and my wife call it something sweet, you know, something sweet on the house. But <laughs> if you, certain things are just too good. Like you have a scoop, you're going to want the whole thing. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to the Cheesecake Factory, but you have one of them cheesecakes. It's all going down. Like, you know, that's what, like 800 calories maybe more. But you're like, it's going down. I'm not hungry, but it tastes delicious. I have to keep eating it. 
for me, it's probably like a proper, like either like a Domino's or a Papa John's or something yeah. like that. Like if me and the wife didn't share a 14 inch, I would eat an entire 14 inch. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, now for me, yeah, it's got to be, yeah. I mean, I mean, come on, you get a takeaway, you're going to binge. Are they saying that? I had a Burger King last week. Like it was a bit, a bit of a tough week. Matt's had to go to hospital. Um, it's yeah, all yeah. fine. It, it, she was overnight, so I didn't cook. Knackered, making excuses. The PT, hey, uh, went to Burger King. Got a take. Got a drive-through. I tell you what, it was so disappointing. Like I call really? this. Do, do you get this sometimes? I call it a waste of calories. Yeah. When you get when you get like a shit pizza or like a shit burger. You're like I've just, I've just well, spent a thousand and a half calories eating this crap food. And do you know what? It was awful. I was like, yeah. It, I'm kind of glad I had it now because it put me off shit food for a while, but it was just terrible. I remember what it, I um, I was prepping and me and Natalie went out for a meal. I won't mention the name of the restaurant, but like it was my, so my coach had said to me like, right, um, you're essentially going to save up like two meals worth of calories. So I had like 70 grams of carbs, about 50 grams of protein and like, 30 grams of fat to be able to use for like a, a date night because I think we were 12 weeks into prep at this moment. I still have like four weeks left and like I, I just had to have a night off. And we went and I like ordered this food and I was so looking forward to it. And then you just kind of, it comes and you're just eating it and it's just like, this is so disappointing. This yeah. is my one night off diet for the next yeah, you know. six weeks. And that's if I don't make it through to the next competition. It's another 10 weeks if I do make it through this first stage. And I, I'm, I just left it kind of like feeling disappointed. And no, then no, you know, like pudding came over and it was like, no, I'm, I'm going to go home and have something. I, like, I don't want it. At home that at least I know I'm going to enjoy. I think I had like, like four bits of chocolate or... Some milk chocolate that I hadn't allowed myself. Oh, I had a dark, a square of dark chocolate. It was divine. It's <laughs> yeah. a good way to be, but I, I guess I've never been that person. Like, I think I, I, I F way, however you want to call it, works phenomenally well and it worked amazing for me. And it's still, it's still the go-to. But yeah, there are sometimes, even if you know you're tracking it, you've allowed the calories for it, things have happened, sometimes you're still just going to binge and all that. So I think, I think my food that I can't buy or a binge straight is probably... Ice cream is going to go down. That's not going to last. And then something like, you know, if I buy a steak, like a massive, like, you know, we're talking a huge bit of meat. Whatever I cook, basically, is what I eat. So if I cook, <laughs> you know. So you can't prep meals people. ahead of time or if you just eat it all in one way. I mean, I, I can and I can't. It depends. If it doesn't taste that great, like I did a load of chicken breast and rice yesterday. That was two meals. That's fine. But <laughs> if I make two steaks, I'm going to eat two steaks. I'm not going to right. spread them out. Like. So for me, I would say ice cream is the biggest place. Yeah. And on that note as well, for anyone who does binge, end up binge eating, you end up in a very negative cycle if you then utilize exercise as a punishment for binging. So if you overeat on something, accept it. It's happened. You can't get those calories out of you now. Like instead of going, right, I now need to go and fucking kill myself on cardio, utilize those extra calories and go and set some personal bests in an exercise that you're going to do. So turn it from a negative emotion into a positive and it just it helps you not get negative associations with food as well that's something that um has been cropping up recently i've had people 
message me when they've kind of binged and then they've gone, oh, I went and did like an hour long run the next day. I was like, no, please, oh, please don't do that. Like, just go and set some personal bests and send me a selfie from the gym when you've just done a PB on your chest press or whatever it is. Um, right, this one, this one should be quite funny. Um, favorite shopping channel slash TV special fitness kit, either for comedy value or favorite based on actual worth. All right, so. <laughs> one that actually is good is where is it? I think I've got it in somewhere. Well, I don't know where I put it, but the, the ab wheel. Like yeah. I think it started life out on the TV. It's it's brilliant. It's probably my favourite bit of um, core work. You know, the ab wheel. I, I love it. I think it's a, such a good challenge. You know, done incorrectly, yes, it can hurt you back. But if you do it properly um, and really keep everything um, organised and your body, it's phenomenal. A few sets of ten in those, and your abs are absolutely burning especially if you haven't done it for a while so a while so i think in terms of stuff that actually works yeah the ab wheel for me yeah one of the things so, hilarious is i can actually see it probably working but do you remember was it michael trem was doing that frog pump thing or he's like yeah. frog that. i reckon it probably is actually quite effective but oh my days it is ridiculous you look like a twat while you're using it though don't you <laughs> imagine just being in the middle of like a proper spit and sawdust like bodybuilder gym there's some guy there that looks like he's eaten like his family to get to the size that he is and you're just frog thingy in across oh, thank you for that. like your vet thing Right, I'm going to Google it now, see if it's still going. What's it called? The yeah, Google it, and then if you can find it, we'll do the share screen thing, and you can show the infomercial of it. Uh, while we're doing that, I'll talk over it. So the one I rate as actually uh, being quite good is something called an ab sling. So they're like two Ooh. hooks, and then it's material, and you can put your forearms through it. So you can hook it to like a pull-up stand, so for, especially for my female clients who don't generally have the grip strength, especially at the end of a session, to be doing hanging legs, hanging abs exercises, can't speak today, having the slings where their forearms go in, they generally have the strength to be able to use their lats, to be able to hold themselves up, so they can do things like knee tucks, leg lifts, all that kind of stuff, which they wouldn't normally be able to do. Um the one that always springs to mind with these these things is like the shake weight. Um, did you ever see the South Park episode where they were taking the mick out of the shake weight and when they're done, it just, yeah. <laughs> right, so if you, do you know how to do the share screen thing? Uh, no, I can't find it, mate. All I can find is, find is Brett, Brett Contreras doing a, um, you know, that booty pump thing. Right. I'm going to find the South Park Shake Weight commercial. <laughs> then it gives you change at the end. Wow, great workout. Well <laughs> YouTube Shake Weight South Park. Yeah, there we go. Right, let me do my share screen. So this one is just for the guys that can watch on the video. So if you want to see this, where's the... I will put in the show notes where this is and then yeah come and join the home gym group uh right where's share screen let's hope there's nothing <laughs> so good isn't it I wonder how much money that's actually made. Um, I think at the time it made a lot. 
Have you seen the one that was like like a squat thing you sit on and you just keep sitting on it and it was like a squat I don't know what it was it was like a it was like a stand like the shake <laughs> you just keep sitting up and down on it it was like unbelievable right that's enough of that <laughs> oh dear like South Park made some really really good like what's it uh, like social um trying to think of the right word where they pick up on things that are kind of happen in society and they make them all just really funny I don't know if we still see you gallery view there we go oh we lost Dan there we go you're in twice now oh we're back you broke my computer we can't take it <laughs> Can't take it. You've got like right, a so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that covers both of them, doesn't it? So, ones <laughs> that we actually like and then the ones that are funny. Um, yeah. And if anybody wants to comment, like, funny infomercial videos, like, that, I think that would be brilliant to go under the thread. Um, last question. Oh, right, okay. What is a good macro ratio for weight loss? I'm using my fitness pal and working with around 2,500 calories a day, 94 kg body weight, active lifestyle job, looking to lose around one pound a week. Protein is 30% to hit my two grams per kilo body weight. What would you recommend for fats and carbs? Currently eating 30% fat, 40% carbs, but reading mixed advice online with regard to maximum grams per day of fat and how would these percentages change from maintenance and bulking? So... For me, there's a couple of trains of thought on this, and it all depends on like how seriously you take your training. So for the average client that is doing like an if it fits your macros model, it's right, you've got your protein, which you've got sorted at two grams per kilo. You've got your calories. What you do with the fats and carbs is just what you can keep to. So it doesn't really, if you're aiming for fat loss, it doesn't really make much of a difference whether those calories are coming from fats or carbs because you're in a deficit. Your body is going to utilize the extra calories it needs from um, the fat kind of in your stores. Now, they're all, as you said, they're all conflicting things. What I would say is you probably want to eat the majority of your carbohydrates on a training day around the training window. There's loads of different things on peri training nutrition or whatever you want to call it. Um, if somebody's trying to lose fat, there is a, a, mi a micro benefit to having like proteins and fats first thing in the morning. So not introducing carbohydrates into your system so later on because then your blood sugar is lower from the night before because your brain utilizes glycogen which you can only get from your liver glycogen therefore your blood sugar is going to be low so when your blood sugar is low your body is more likely to mobilize the body fat that's in your system and use it as an energy source that's where the whole theory of keto and everything kind of comes from but the differences it are neg differences in it are negligible and the main thing, you're already taking care of the basics, as in you are in a calorie deficit. Like that's the number one thing. All these other bits that go on top are just like micro changes. So what I would say is like, do what makes you feel good. If you prefer to have more carbs, have more carbs. If you prefer to eat like cheese and oils and nuts and seeds and things like that, 
have those in there is not really going to make much of a difference. Now, the difference between kind of like cutting and bulking would be that up to a point, as you're building your food back up when you're bulking, you'll probably want to keep somewhere between like around the 3000 calories mark. You want to keep it relatively clean. So you're not going to be binge eating on, on crap foods. Anything above the three and a half, like three to three and a half thousand mark, if you want to add some food in there that's not like clean, like your body doesn't care where those extra calories are coming from. It doesn't care if it's getting it from ice cream or it's getting it from like rice. It still breaks down to glucose in your bloodstream and it can't tell. As long as you've got the core of your diet as like good quality food, you can have a bit of a cherry on the top, especially when you're bulking, because when you're cutting down, that's when you're like, right, I want to keep to as many single ingredient foods. That's when you have to be a little bit kind of more strict with it. Um, I don't know if there's any different kind of in powerlifting side. Like, do you have to like watch the um, ratios of fats and carbs or is it just right? Just calories, get them in. Yeah, as, as you get as you get closer to competition, you'll find a lot of people start switching out the carbs because they have a, what do you call it? You know, you're talking about the weight of foods as well and the the residue. So you're looking for low residue foods. So a lot of um, people switch to things like heavy creams and stuff like that because for what you take in, it comes out quite quick. And um, if you're having carbs, you know, certain foods, although they only have, you know, say. 20 grams of carbs per food or that the, the food itself might weigh a certain amount so when we're getting close to weighing in for competition we're right. looking at emptying the gut out so we don't want foods with weight you know say if you're dieting yeah those foods are fantastic because they fill you up they feel good whereas when you're getting close when you're just looking at we're not talking fat loss here we're talking weight loss you want foods that don't weigh anything so typically towards the end of a cut if you you know say i fucked up my last cut a little bit i went to liquid only on the last day um, where all I had was uh, protein shakes and things like cream and oils and stuff like that. Not very nice, but... I was going to say, did they, um, the toilet like you look like you've uh, sneezed on like the Weetabix the next day? <laughs> Not great, but uh, you're, you're looking for foods which don't weigh a lot, so you want to get them in. Um, typically speaking, for weight loss as well, if you go uh, keto, low carb, there will be that water drop as well. So you're looking for, if you're looking for pure weight, then yeah, you're going to take out the carbs, drop them right down. So a lot of um, people push the carbs, you know, normal, fairly high. And then the last day or two, they'll take them out almost completely. And then in the last, depending on how far off you are, you'll drop it right back. I mean, in terms of off even gaining all that, yeah. I mean, I would always try and push people more towards carbs because i think they have so many more benefits to training um specifically packing on muscle their protein sparing and they give you energy um when you're eating the carbs in high amounts and high volumes you want stuff which is you know you know stan everything talks about this all the time easily digestible so rice is really good potatoes are brilliant but no not too many because it might sit in your stomach but then we're talking about guys who are like smashing thousands and thousands of calories but you're looking at you'll notice certain carbs will make you feel a certain way certain things you eat even though your body composition wise yes it probably won't have that much of a difference whether it's uh, a potato compared to rice but you'll feel in yourself you just feel maybe a little bit better off certain foods you know things like oats for some people give them tons of bloating make them feel a bit crappy for some people it's like a superfood um so it's trying to find what kind of carb sources work best with you so i push for me people into more having carbs than fats 
But as you say, if you find you prefer eating fat and stick to eating that and it's easier, yeah, go for fat, no problem. But I mean, if we're talking purely, you know, scientifically, I would say carbs are more important to keep them higher. You know, fats, I think you only need something like, it's very low, like very low, something like, like 40 20, grams a day or something yeah, in general. Like, yeah, to keep your, um, you know, hormone function okay. It's very little. After that, it's kind of, yeah, it's all right, but it's not doing that much for you so you know like when bodybuilders get close so close i know um john meadows moved a few things around with guys that were going super low carb he switched it out to like relatively little to no fat and pump the carbs right out which to me just from looking from the outside in kind of makes sense to keep muscles full and keep you feeling you know some of your training well but yeah it's a personal preference i would say whatever i think you mentioned something like 30 40 spit or something like that stick to that and see how you go if it's going all right don't change it only make changes where you need to because um, a lot of the time even if you're working with a coach it's the best educated guest to start with and then you start making manipulations yeah yeah uh, so just as Dan said there like even when we utilize these calculators and equations to figure out your calories and your macros they are a best estimate and this is where having a coach comes in handy because we will go right well what so we've set you, we're aiming for you to be in a calorie deficit, but I've had it before where I've done the equations, but I've like overestimated their activity. So then I've given them actually more food than they were kind of having before. And they've actually put weight on in their first week. And then it'll be like, okay, right. We need to look at your activity. Where is your steps? Oh, you're doing 3000 steps a day. That's where the problem is. We need to up that. So you, this next week, you're going to try and bring your activity up. And yeah, it's just making these tweaks and don't make big swings. So don't like day one of the diet, I'm going to start doing cardio five days a week. I'm going to start training with weights. I'm going to cut like a thousand calories out of my diet from where it was before. If you do all that in one go, when your body's adapted in three or four weeks time, where are you going to go with it? Because you've already utilized all the tools in your toolbox on day one which means you can either pull more carbs and you feel like crap or you do more exercise, but you've not got any time to do it. So you want to do the minimum effective dose to start yeah. to get things moving. And then you add in little bits on top of that as you go. So we might pull 50 or hundred calories. We might add in one session of 20 minutes of cardio. You might add in a thousand steps, but it's little things done consistently over a long period of time that have a better effect than doing everything all at once. You get a big initial drop, but then it slows off and you get demotivated and it all comes back on very, very quickly. So I know you need to get off. Yeah, and it was do the, yeah, the school run, otherwise I'll get told off for being late. It's, That's uh, okay. Yeah, been a good, another good one today. Uh, nice mix of questions. I should be able to get this annotated and video out by tonight. So before we go, uh, if you want to find uh, more info about Dan, he is on Instagram at Barbells and Beans, uh, and then Dan Fraser on Facebook. For myself, it's Deej PT on both Instagram and Facebook. We're always happy to have DMs, speak about problems, uh, or if you just want to ask any questions that want to go onto the podcast. And you aren't in the Facebook group. If you send us a DM, we can add it to the list that we kind of go through. Um, we are actively looking for some more guests to kind of come on. I've spoken to a friend of mine who is a strength and conditioning coach for the Everton ladies team. He's interested to come on. It's just finding a time that's going to work with all three of us. 
and I'm also speaking to a, a national men's physique uh, champion as well. So he uh, has been training from his own home gym recently. So it's been great to hear from all you guys and we will see you next week. Take care. See ya.